resolved. They're getting worse. And I pray, Lord, today that you'd give them an answer, that you'd guide them into Jesus Christ as not only the way of salvation and the definition of it, but also a, a pathway to the Father and a pathway into hope. So I just ask, Lord God, for us to be able to look in your word, but to learn from an ordinary guy how to, to live an extraordinary reality in a very pain-filled and dark place. Thank you for your goodness in this worship today. In Jesus' name, amen. Jody, I don't know. I gotta leave that to you, Techies. Right, man. Sunday before Christmas, you got your shopping done. Hey guys, you got your shopping done. Christmas Eve is just a few days away. Don't worry, you can start then. Be good. That's an old joke, right? Uh, so today at 4 o'clock, 7 Big Sky Drive. If you go to 7 Big Sky Trail, which is over behind Home Depot, that guy is not expecting you. Okay? He's going to feel really weird, all right? So, but 7 Big Sky Drive is out north uh, on the corner of Jamie Lane and Big Sky, and it's a big log house. Come on out. Park anywhere. Just don't get stuck. You're like, where do I not get stuck? Ah, you figured that out. We'll... Uh, Help you out, but we'd, we'd love for you to come on, just stay a few minutes, stay the whole time, doesn't matter. We're, I've talked to Steve, and we're going to see about dragging the piano out, singing a few carols here or there as well. Uh, we'll put a tip jar up, and you can write tips, like wear a hat in the sun, Steve, and throw that in there, stuff like that. Uh, so I would love to see you guys, and uh, it's, a, it's a come and go thing, you don't have to stay the whole time, you can just swing through, but we would love to see you, myself, Steve, Becky, his wife, Christy, my wife, and the leadership team as well, the oars and the um, <clears throat> rights will be there for sure. Paul is a little under the weather. He might not be there, but love to see you guys. You ever feel like the odds are against you in life? Ever feel like you're just, uh, like every time you get up and get going, there's another gut punch coming? And that's kind of how I want to start and think about Zechariah. Zechariah and Elizabeth had been trying to have a child their entire marriage and lives, and now they're too old to have children when we step into the story today. And, and some of you may know that struggle of wanting to have children, and it, and it taken a while. My son and his daughter, it, they wanted children so badly, and it took them seven years, and finally God blessed them with twins this year or last year, and uh, they're adorable, and they love me. <laughs> They're okay with my wife, but they really love me. Tell her I said that, okay? <laughs> That'll really get her going. It'll be great. Um, so some of you can identify with that challenge. That, that you don't understand. You see other people enjoying a blessing you wish that you could enjoy, and it, it's not happening. And some of you are living something of that nature right now. You're, you're trying to get ahead. You're trying to, to face your health struggle, your mental struggle, your relational struggle, your financial struggle, and you're trying to get on top of that, and it just seems like it's two steps forward and a step back, or a step forward and two back, and it's just a fight. And so, this is not uncommon to the human experience. 
And God didn't do this. It's not God messing you up. Okay? And we'll talk about that more in just a minute. But I want to talk about this idea that sometimes we think about life and and the odds are against us. So we're going to look at the book of Luke today. Before we even look at the book, I want to set up a, a, a little simple thing you should understand. The, book, the Gospel of Luke was written by Luke the physician. He was a Greek. Okay? He wasn't, wasn't a, a Jewish man. He wasn't one of the disciples. He was a, a Greek doctor. And so I, I want you to see that when he begins the book, and we'll look at the verse in just a minute, I want you to see that he begins the book of Luke in a very Greek way. And what does that mean? He's, a, he's coming at it much like a history book or a narrative or something a little, it, it, it seems more technical in the beginning. So I want you to see how he starts his book. Um, he starts out in Luke's account. He says, having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, this is Luke setting up his letter. He did the research. Having carefully investigated all the stuff, I've decided to give an accurate account for you, most honorable Theophilus. So when I read that line, I want, I want you to see that this is, this sounds very reasonable and very logical, and all you brainiacs and technicals love it, okay? This is how we like things to be. It's reasonable and logical and one, two, three, and linear, and I embrace it, and all of that. Sounds good, right? And then <clears throat> you see this beginning of a journal, and it's very comforting, and then you read just a mere few verses, and the very first step into the account you hit an angel of the Lord is standing on the right of the altar of incense appeared to him. We go from reasonable and logical to angels. <laughs> this is important. Christianity has a supernatural backstory. You can, uh, you can look at things and, and you can desire everything to be reasonable and rational. And there is value in those. God gave you a brain and did intend you to use it. But the backdrop to the New Testament is the Old Testament. And the Old Testament is filled with psychos <laughs> and giants and floods, worldwide ones. People are like, I don't believe in a worldwide flood. I mean, the entire planet has been underwater at one point in time or another, but I don't believe in a worldwide flood. <laughs> you run with that. <clears throat> There's this backdrop that's very powerful and very miraculous that sets up the Christmas story. And I need you to see that because I, I, have, this, uh, I have this belief that most people don't, haven't even reached an Old Testament faith yet much less a New Testament faith. They don't have room in their faith for miracles and angels and powerful things happening. They've reduced their faith. I think people have been taught not to believe. That's what I think. I think people have been taught not to believe. And you and I need to understand that we walk in a way with God. Jesus, it was called the way in the beginning, a way with God that is not natural. It's not normal. It's supernatural. You might call it weird. We try to 
make it less weird, but you need to understand you're walking on an earthly plane and a heavenly plane. Some of you are like, well, I'm just getting into faith and I'm sure I'm ready for that. That's okay. Put that on pause. We'll come back to it. All I need you to grasp for today is the reality that the Christmas story is a miraculous story. It's a miraculous story. There are miracles involved. And the miracle we're covering today is Zachariah, the priest, serving God, gets a visitation from an angel, and from that he finds out he's going to be a dad. He's been waiting to be a dad his entire life. Hope of being a dad is long gone, actually, but now he finds out that he's going to be a dad. That's the, the beginning of the story. So Luke sets up this story very logically, very reasonably, and then begins to talk about very un, not logical and non-reasonable things like angels and miracles, okay? So that is kind of how it works. One day, Zechariah was serving God in the temple for his order was on duty that week. That's where our story begins, Zechariah standing in the temple of God. Now, this is a really special day for Zechariah. Because this wasn't a weekly event. He wasn't like me who got to stand up and share uh, jokes and silly stories with you guys from week to week. Oh, in the Bible, the book report I give every week as well. Um, <clears throat> it wasn't like that. There was a, they would cast lots, and you're like, casting lots, what does that mean? Well, there's a guy named Lot, and they would, no, that wasn't it at all. <laughs> a lot like rolling dice or flipping a coin. They would cast lots, and that's how they would decide who was going to be on duty that day. And there's a proverb that I should share with you before I, so you'll kind of connect the, that there's nothing random about this casting lots idea. The Bible says in Proverbs 16.33 says, we may throw the dice, but the Lord determines how they fall. So a lot of Old Testament decisions were decided with the lot, or flipping a coin, or throwing the dice, or whatever it was. That's how Jonah got thrown off that boat and swallowed by a whale. There was a flip of the coin type thing involved. And this is how Zechariah ended up in the temple that day, because every cast of the lots is throw the dice is from the Lord. And so the Lord's like, I got to make it, I got an appointment with Zechariah he doesn't know about yet. So he made sure that things went the way they needed to go. So he was just assigned by that flip of the coin. Now, this is not the best picture. I wish I could find a better one. I should have had Hallie make me one, is what I should have done. But I was not that thinking. So this is a very rough picture of kind of what Zachariah is experiencing. Only he would have been alone, most likely. There wouldn't have been three people there. It probably just would have been him. So the temple was two rooms that we're, that we're concerned with today. The holy place and the most holy place. Just two, basically, rectangular or square-type rooms the, the holy places where Zechariah is hanging out that day, there is a seven-wick candlestick. It's, it's an oil lamp, really, that's on one side, and it's what gives light to the room. There's a table, and it's got fresh-baked bread on it that's out there every day that's for the Lord. And it would stay out there all day, and then in the day, that I think it would go to the priest, and they would use that. And then there was an altar that was in kind of the, it kind of took prominence in the room, and a big curtain or veil. Now that veil was about as thick as my hand. It was, it was a very thick curtain and that, the altar of incense sat right in front of it. So that's the picture of the room. Kind of got it? I mean, this is not the best thing, and, but it's the best I could find. So his job is to go into this room and light uh, the incense in front of the big curtain. On the other side of the curtain is the most holy place, and it contains the Ark of the Covenant, okay? 
It symbolized the presence of God, and often throughout the Old Testament, it actually held the Shekinah glory or the presence of God. So the priest is there lighting incense. I'm not sure what form the incense were, but they did the same thing then that incense do today. They smoke and, and, and give off a fragrance. So they would fill the room, and the smoke would drift through the curtain into the most holy place, and that was Zechariah's job that day. He's lighting incense. Smoke is drifting what's, uh, <clears throat> into the room. And outside the room... The Bible says, while the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside praying, praying. Here's what I need you to see about this. Zechariah's in this room. What he's doing is a ritual. It's a Jewish ritual of temple-based worship. But that ritual, as all rituals in the Jewish tradition, means something. It's not just rote tradition it's not, do, it's not just this thing we do because that's what priests do in our religion. This means something. And what this moment is about is prayer. And it's all about prayer. Zechariah entered that room, I guarantee you, under the weight of this responsibility of offering incense before the throne of God. That was the thought process in his mind. He went in that room prayerfully. He lifted up these incense and the, the smoke wafted through the room and into the most holy place to symbolize kind of how prayer comes before God. And outside, everyone knew this was about prayer because they are backing up what Zechariah is doing inside by himself. They're backing that up by praying outside. There was an atmosphere of prayer in this moment. An atmosphere of prayer. Remember that terminology and that thought process, please. Revelation 8.4 says, The smoke of the incense mixed with the prayers of God's holy people ascended up to God from the altar where the angel had poured it out. And then the angel filled the incense burner with fire from the altar, threw it down upon the earth, and thunder crashed, lightning flashed, and there was a terrible earthquake. What I want you to see is this scene out of the book of Revelation. It's an eternal scene. It's a scene that's happening in the actual throne room of God. This isn't a symbolic scene on earth. It's a literal scene in heaven. And I want you to see that in heaven, there's an incense altar and there's an incense burner. And in heaven, that incense is fueled by your prayers. And that incense that is in heaven, that is your prayers, is mixed with the coals of the altar, which is the sacrifice of Jesus, and thrown back to the earth. And when it hits the earth, things go crazy. That's the power of prayer. That's what we're seeing in Zechariah's moment here. We're seeing God, we're seeing Israel celebrate, connect with God through prayer, and we're seeing the symbols get tied together with this concept and through this idea of praying. So, <clears throat> excuse me, I want you to, I guess what I want you to understand about prayer is that prayer syncs us up with God, prayer puts us in the, the same space. That God lives in and exists within. Prayer gives us, um, prayer makes the difference between what's happening in our world and what needs to happen in our world. And so, 
whether you feel like it or not, whether things change immediately or not, when you enter into prayer, you enter into God's presence. Whether you feel like it or not, prayer is presence. Prayer is an atmosphere. Okay? So that's what's happening this day when Zechariah is going before the Lord. I just I want to take a minute and talk about prayer. This, this is not a rabbit trail. I planned to do this from the beginning. So, uh, so it's not a rabbit. It was a planned rabbit trail. The Bible says in Acts 3.19, it says, Now repent of your sins and turn to God. Repent of your sins and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped away, and then times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord. And he will again send you, Jesus, the appointed Messiah. When this story takes place about Zechariah and the nation of Israel and the story of Jesus' birth, the nation of Israel was tired. Zechariah was tired. And what I mean is, they hadn't heard from God in 400 years. There hadn't been a fresh word in 400 years. All they had was the last promise of, of Malachi, or as I lovingly like to call him, Malachi. <clears throat> they haven't heard anything in that long. They've been, they, had, they had lost wars. They had fought wars. They had won wars. They had been defeated again. They're now, they were under Greek rule. Now they're under Roman rule. And, and all of this is a lot of oppression and a lot of assaults on who they were as a nation, who they were as a people. So I want you to understand that this is not a happy time in Israel when these announcements of Christ's birth begin to happen. And so here's a nation, here's, here's a, a, a guy who goes in before the Lord and he's in a season of prayer, and this, but also personally, he's in a season of anxiety and, and depression. And I think, I think we can kind of connect with that. I think, I don't know if everyone in this room, but like I've said before, it's not even original. Either you, you just came through a trial, you're about to enter a trial, or you're right in the middle of a trial right now. I mean, that's kind of how life goes. And some of you are facing some really difficult things. And, and I want to respect and honor what you're going through. And I don't want to minimize it in any way. But let me, let me ask you a question. Here, I'm going, to, I'm going to get out my parenting stool. I'm going, to, I'm going to act like dad just for a second. I'm a father of eight sons, so acting like dad comes really, really natural to me. I have so much bad advice I could give you. I don't know what you're going through, but here's my question. Have you prayed yet? Now, I know what you're Well, yeah, I, I pray all the time. I'm not talking about that. No, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about actually connecting with God, seeking God, and pursuing God in a way that manifests an atmosphere of prayer in your life. That's, that's what I mean. Say, Michael, that sounds really extreme. I know. I know. Some of your problems are pretty extreme. And here's, here's the argument I'd like to make. So my dad voice here, okay, okay. Not even preaching right now, I'm just being dad. Here's my thing. Um, you, you've, spent, you've given yourself years to try and turn you around. Maybe, maybe months, but probably years. You've, you've had this problem. You're like, okay, I can fix this. I can do it. I just need to try harder. And you said, I just need to try harder about a thousand times over that one problem. 
And, and you can't get to the place where you're like, well, you know, maybe that's, not, that's maybe a dumb idea to keep trying harder. And so, so you gave yourself years, and then maybe it's a medical problem or a, a problem that requires a counselor, and you go to them, and you're like, okay, I, I admit I got a problem, I'm going to go to a counselor. And maybe you give him some months. You're like, okay, I'm going to give you six months or a year or whatever, and see if you can help me out. You give yourself years, you give the counselors, the doctors, and the people with the degrees that are made by men, you give them months. Then you finally give up. Okay, God, obviously we're going to need you to do something. I hate that it's come to this. I hate that it's come to this. You're our last resort. Would you do something? And you give God minutes. God, I need you to fix it today. And if he doesn't fix it today or this week, you're like, oh, I'm so mad at God. I'm not trying to make you sound stupid. I'm just saying sometimes we do that and that's stupid. I'm not the only one that does that, okay? What if we started by praying? What if we sought an atmosphere of the presence of God and we began to seek God for the things that we need, the miracles that we need. I'm not saying don't go to the doctors or don't go to the counselors. I have some good friends who are both. I'm just saying God's not a microwave, which I'm very thankful for. I ever, I'm sorry, this is a Michael thing. It's a thing I do, deal with it. If, if microwaves were, were designed and built for today, I don't think they could sell a single one. You ever thought about it? What does it do? It makes things freezing hot. <laughs> or, or, or lava cold. I, I don't know. All I know is I, I put in the thing to heat up. I get it out. One part's a block of ice. The other part melts my ears off my head. I'm like, <laughs> who invented this thing? This is so stupid. I'm going to get my son one for Christmas, by the way. So, uh, because he deserves it. He deserves it. Um, don't be angry at God about unanswered prayers. Start praying. See, here's something Zechariah teaches us, okay? He's praying, and God interrupts. And that's how this works. You seek God, you start praying, and God's going to interrupt your prayers with an answer. You say, well, Michael, he hasn't done it yet. Give him some time. He, he is not bound by time like you are. We'll talk about that in a minute, but... In this story, the net translation, the New New English translation, presents this verse about the angel at the altar kind of like it was a surprise. Like the angel was standing there the whole time. Zachariah comes in, lights the incense, he's praying, and then Gabriel's like, boom! (laughs) And Zachariah has something in the neighborhood of a heart attack, I'm I'm thinking. The angel says, uh, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. Stand... Pause, atmosphere of prayer. I stand in the very presence of God. Do you have any idea what Gabriel's saying? Just just dispatched from the face of God. I'm Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring you this good news. I want to share with you Romans 11.33. Oh, how great are God's riches and wisdom and knowledge. How impossible it is for us to understand his decisions and his ways. So I, I want to share with you the reality that, uh, <clears throat> that there's a spirit of prayer, an atmosphere of prayer, in that God interrupts with the news that Zachariah is going to be a dad. We'll tap into that in just a minute. So 
there's this presence of God that we see in Zechariah's story, and I want you to use that as a focus to, to teach you and push you into the concept of prayer. In fact, I want to, for some of you, some of you are facing things you've never let anybody pray over you for, and I'm going to ask you to let us do that today. Not right now, but here in just a little bit. And then I want you to see that there's this aspect of, of waiting on God that began with this prophetic word that the angel begins to share. I don't know if you know this or not, but God doesn't do things like you do. You aware? Does everybody know? Give me a nod. Yeah, God, God does not. God is a very strange God. Of course he is. And, and it's like this. Uh, I remember this conversation I had with one of my sons a few years ago, and he was telling me all the things that he knew. And any parent who's had teenagers probably knows what that moment's like. And, and I, I remember saying to him, and it was really a revelation from God at the time, and it was like, I said, son, I know what you know. I know that you know what you know. That's exactly how I said it. I know that you know what you know. But the problem is, you don't even know what you don't know. Well, that was a revelation. That's like a word from God, man. You know? You should have seen the look he gave me. It was not, it was not affirming at all. It was, he did not stop and go, oh, Father, thou hast wisdom that I did not know. It did not happen. I mean, I thought it was going to happen that one time, but it, it didn't happen. You see, the, the, one of the things the, the Age of Enlightenment taught us, and there were so many good things, but it, it began to help us you know, kind of like Spock. We move in logic and in reason. The problem with logic and reason is they're always limited by information and the correct interpretation of said information. Like, for example, I could say to you right now, ice cream kills. We need to ban ice cream. I'd get crucified, but I mean, I'd, I could say that. Why? Because studies have shown that when ice cream sales increase, there are more drownings, there are higher crime rates, uh, there are, uh, man, it's just, uh, oh, fires. There are a lot more fires when they sell more ice cream. But how many of you know that, that correlation is not causation? You know, just because they're, they happen at the same time, that'd be a great class. They should teach something like this in school. This concept that just because two things happen at the same time doesn't mean they're related like my relatives in Tennessee. But, uh, <sighs> so, the, the, excuse me. <clears throat> I'm, 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 yeah, I gotta be, I gotta stay on track here, all right? But ice cream sales go up when the weather changes. And so when the weather's hot, people eat ice cream. It's also when things dry out and fires start. It's when people go swimming and people drown. And it's when people gather in large gatherings outside, and that's when crime begins to increase. Ice cream has nothing to do with those three other negative things. But you could make the correlation and probably get a bill passed because there's always a senator out there somewhere looking for something unimportant to do so he can stay in office. <laughs> if you're here and you're a senator, I'm sorry, and I hope you're not like that. So... My, my, my thing is, we don't know what God knows. God knows things. And so when we talk about talking about God and coming to God in prayer and waiting on God, we need to know that, that God knows things that we don't know. And, and we don't even know the things that we, we don't know. It's like a, when I was a, when your kids are at home and, man, it's weird. I, my youngest son is, he'll be 14 this week. I can't believe I'm actually... I mean, it's possible that my, all my kids could grow up one day. It's, hang on, let me have a sad one. Anyway, woo 
Woo! Anyway, so... Uh, <clears throat> but you know how it is when they're home and, and you have to go to work, your mom or dad, and you have to go home to work because you have to feed all these little critters that God gave you, and, and that's kind of important. Keeping them alive until they move out, is that's really the, bit, the only thing that matters, I guess. And so... Uh, so, you know, your seven-year-old comes to you, or, or maybe they're four or something. You're going off to work, and they're like, Dad, just stay home and play with me today. I am awesome, and you need some awesome in your life, and just, you don't have to work. We can just have fun. And you're like, oh, son, I love you, but I can't help you understand. I, I can't help you understand that I have to go to work so you can eat, you know. And, of course, you know, they're sad for a minute, and then, then they forget you, and they don't care because they have friends and toys and all those kind of things. And because children are ignorant of the difficulties of life. And I have found that ignorance is bliss. This is so true. I may start my own sub-religion on that called the less you know, the happier you are or something like that. <laughs> ignorance is a powerful tool. But anyway, the, God, God just doesn't work like we do. He doesn't work in the ways that we do. And so he's our father. And so we have to learn to to move with him. In this story, the angel comes and he speaks God's word over Zechariah. It's prophetic. His whole life, all Zechariah, one of the things he wants to be is a dad. And he's not a dad. And, and he comes to this, this moment and now here's the angel that's just been in the presence of God. And he says, okay, you are not only going to be a dad, you're going to be the dad to God's exclamation point on the old covenant. You're, you're, going to be, you're going to be the dad to the greatest old covenant prophet that ever lived, John the Baptist. That's who you're going to get to be. This is a big prophetic word. Now, Zechariah is a lot like me in that he was dumb. <sighs> and he didn't know how this was going to happen. He didn't know how this was going to happen. And we can relate to that because you've got stuff in your life right now that you don't know how this is going to work out. You don't know what the end's going to look like. It's going to be happy or sad, how things are going to end. So the angel reveals this plan to him. And what Zechariah should have said was nothing. Like Steve in his arguments with Becky. He should have said nothing, right? That's what all the guys were saying. Shut up, Steve. Just Becky's right, you're wrong, Okay. I'm just, I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. If you really have relationship trouble, you should listen to my Powerful People series we did back in the summer. But, okay, back, back to today. Back to today. What he should have said was nothing. And that's hard to do. This week, I had a funeral service for uh, a family that I've known for years. The, the mother passed away. known her for years. And it's one that I care a lot about. But they sang the song in the garden, which is my grandmother, which she's gone on home long ago now. But that was her favorite song. And the chorus is... And he walks with me, and he talks with me. So you remember that? So at the end of the service, there was another lady in the service that was involved, and she read the eulogy, and I was talking to her, and her husband was there. I hadn't met him yet. And so I asked him, I, I said, what's your name? That's a polite thing to do, right? Do you know what his name was? Andy. Do you know what I said? Oh, like, you're in the song. It was about you. That's what I said. What I should have said was nothing. That's what I should have said. <laughs> Hi, Andy. Nice to meet you. That's what I should have said. But you know me, I can't resist a jab at some kind of cornball joke. It's just a, it's a dad thing, you know, and, it's, it, and it, was, it was not a... Luckily, the service was over and the screaming and no one heard. What, anyway, it, it, it was okay. <clears throat> so so Zachariah's like, me, what he should have said 
was nothing, but he did say something. And the angel, the angel didn't want to mess it up, so he took his voice away. Here's the thing. Zachariah's failures were factored into God's prophetic word. Zachariah's failures were factored in to what God was going to do in Zachariah's life. Do you understand that? The angel had a plan right then. He was going to stop Zechariah from messing it up. And it's a good thing. We're going to see how good this is here in just a little bit. It's a good thing. But I want you to realize that you have some promises from God. You may have some, some words that have been given to you and blessed in your life that someone has spoken over you, uh, encouraged you with, whatever it is. Never doubt, as the old saying goes, never doubt in the darkness what God has revealed in the light. And so keep that true for yourself. When God gives you something through his word, through somebody's ministry over you, through the encouragement of others, through somebody's prayers over you, when God gives you something, he's taking responsibility for it. You cannot accomplish God's will, God's goodness, and God's purposes in your efforts. So that's where waiting on God comes in. So this is where Zechariah is now. He, the angel shows up, tells him, you're going to be the dad to the greatest dude of the old covenant. And he's like, but there's no way. And then the angel's like, shut up for nine months. And he, he, he can't say anything. Because God's, God's the one who's working out his will, not Zechariah. Because God's timetable doesn't work like yours does. Zechariah, I mean... He, I kind of get how he feels. I mean, I don't know how old he is now exactly. All I know is he's too old to start having raising children. That's all I know. Zachariah's plan is, Zachariah's timetable is we have kids when we're young, we raise them up, and when we get old, they take care of us. Or something like that in that culture. But God had a different plan for Zachariah, and his, this plan is going to involve some waiting. So I want you to, to learn how to pray, and then I want you to learn how to wait. Waiting is the Christian superpower, but I probably don't mean what you think I mean. The Bible says in Isaiah 40, verse 1, they wait on the Lord, shall renew their strength, and shall mount up with wings like eagles. They'll run and not be weary. They'll walk and not be faint. But they who wait for the Lord, let's, let's read those three words together. They who wait for the Lord. See, that's the difference between Zechariah's season before this day and Zechariah's season after this day. Before this day, he's just waiting. Waiting for a child. Waiting to die. Waiting for something. He didn't know what. But now he gets a word from the Lord. And now he's not waiting for nothing. Now he's waiting for something. He's not waiting on himself, life, chance, what have you. He's now waiting on God. And this is the difference, and this is what prayer does. Prayer moves us from just waiting to waiting on God. You have to learn how to do this, because this is the Christian life, waiting on God. Christians trust God. Christians are not a God unto themselves like unbelievers. Christians have a God that they cannot control and so they wait on God. Be still and know that I am God. I'll be honored by every nation. I'll be honored throughout the world. Learn to wait on God. But waiting on God, I have notes missing or something. That's okay. I'll make up new stuff. No worries. <laughs> waiting on God is not doing nothing. 
I mean the, dog, I mean the double negative. I am from Tennessee so often I uh, <clears throat> use them in speech, but that's not the right today. Today is right. <laughs> Waiting is not doing nothing. If you are expecting a child, you're waiting, as Zachariah and Elizabeth were. What does it mean when you're waiting on the baby to get there? Does that mean you're doing nothing? Au contraire. <laughs> Au contraire. It means you're getting ready. It means you're preparing. Waiting is preparation. Waiting is like, okay, this gift is on the way. We need a nursery or a closet or at least a big box. We need some diapers, some clothes. We need to let grandma know. She'll take care of a few things. We, better, we might should take some parenting classes or at least read a book or watch a YouTube video or something. I mean, how do you feed those little critters, you know? Waiting is not doing nothing. I, I, like, to, I like to smoke meats. They're really hard to light. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> dad joke. Just have to throw it out there. Dad joke. But like a brisket or a shoulder. Or, I smoked some cheese last week. And uh, you're like, how did he do that? Well, I'm a, I'm a magic man. <laughs> you know, I love smoking a brisket or something because it's an all-day affair. And uh, you're waiting all day. I, I get covered in smoke. And something about that smoke smell keeps attracting my wife to me. It's like, <laughs> I'm not kidding. Guys, if you're not smoking meat, yeah, I don't know what's wrong with you. So uh, you've lost your mind. You need, you need to... Because my wife's like walking up next to me, smell. I wear cologne. She cares. She couldn't care less. I smell. I smell like a brisket. She's like, "Come here, baby." <laughs> you spend all day waiting on this, this to smoke and the temperatures to rise, but you're not doing nothing. You're preparing for a meal for a. Not just a meal. I mean, the, the great thing I love about outdoor cooking and things like this is that every time I do it, I'm doing it for a lot of people. We're going to get together and have a great meal and some great conversation. So I'm waiting for a process to complete and then so that I can enjoy the benefits of that process. And that's what waiting on God is. You're, you're preparing. You're waiting for a process to complete. It shouldn't be stressful. It's just waiting. It's a season of preparing. You understand that? Waiting's not doing nothing. Now, I want you to see what what waiting on God did for Zechariah. And and if you're worried about the time, I'm almost done. You see, in Luke 1.18, Zechariah said to the angels, how can I be sure this will happen? I'm an old man now, and my wife is also well along in years. Notice he didn't say my wife was old because he's not stupid, you know. My, my wife's got a few miles on her too, Gabriel, so she's not as old as me. I'm growing old alone, but, you know, this is a scary thing. I just want you to see that when the angel showed up after a lifetime of waiting, but not waiting on God, the man you meet is a doubter, and he doesn't know how God can do it. And I, I'm telling you what, if you don't know how God can do it, that should not be frightful, uh, should not cause you worry at all. God does all kinds of things. You have no idea how he does them, and yet he still accomplishes them. So just, just chill, dude, just chill. And so I want you to see that a lifetime of waiting brought him to a place of doubt. They couldn't believe that he was going to be father to God's exclamation point. 
But then I want to read you, and I want to read you the whole text. It's going to take a minute. Of what nine months of waiting on God did. Nine months of waiting on God changed doubting Zechariah into this. Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and redeemed his people. He has sent us a mighty Savior from the royal line of his servant, David, just as he promised through his holy prophets long ago. Now we'll be saved from our enemies and from all who hate us. He has been merciful to our ancestors by remembering his sacred covenant, the covenant he swore with an oath to our ancestor, Abraham. We've been rescued from our enemies so we can serve God without fear and holiness and righteousness for as long as we live. And you, my little son, will be called the prophet of the Most High because you will prepare the way for the Lord. You will tell his people how to find salvation through forgiveness of their sins. Because of God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide us to the path of peace. Do you know what had happened? All that had happened was an angel showed up, said he was going to be a dad. He, was, he waited nine months or so, and then John was born. That's all that had happened. None of this other stuff had happened yet. The nation of Israel hadn't been delivered yet. All of a sudden, the guy who's standing in front of an angel and doesn't believe what the angel's telling him, who just came from the presence of God, now this guy is prophetically declaring over his entire nation the Savior Jesus Christ and what he's going to do for the people of God. Nine months of waiting on God took Zechariah from a doubter, from discouragement, from despair to a place of victory, a place of hope, and a place of belief. Do you see that? That's what waiting on God will do. Learning to, to walk in and practice an atmosphere of prayer in your life, then learning to, to ask God for the things that you need and ask Him for His perfect will in your life, and then learning to wait puts you in a place where you begin to grow. You begin to see your life not from its earthly limitations, but from its heavenly possibilities. And so we see this guy change by waiting on God. So some of you right now are facing some stuff. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to start working on your victory speech. Nine months, Zachariah couldn't say a word. That's hilarious. I mean, he's waited his whole life to be a dad, and now he can't even talk to Elizabeth about it. <clears throat> Elizabeth's at peace. She's, she's, like, she's feeling pretty good about things. She's just talking to him. She's just talking and talking, talking and talking. And he's sitting over there writing his victory speech. He's sitting over there thinking about what the angel said to him, and he's letting that bake and ruminate. He's thinking about what he learned in the presence of God while he's waiting on the actions of God. He's sitting over there thinking about what it can mean, and he begins to work out this powerful prophetic word, this powerful word from God that he's going to share the second he gets to speak again. And as soon as God gives him his voice back, out it comes. So I want to encourage you to do the same. I don't know how your situation is going to work out. Here's what I do know. 
as a follower of Jesus, you are more than conquerors. I know you win. That I know. Okay? Michael, I have no idea how I'm going to win. Stop that. You don't need a clue. You don't even know what you don't know. But Father does. And you are not your workmanship created for Christ Jesus. You are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 2.10. God's working in your life. And, and you, my friend, are not strong enough to wreck the plans of God. I know some of you are sitting there going, man, Michael, you don't know how I've messed up. You don't know how big your God is. If you think your mess up can mess up God, he knows. And so I want to encourage you to instead of looking at tomorrow in the shadows and in the uncertainties and in the ignorance of what we don't know, instead of looking at that, I want you to look all the way through that to the one thing that you do know. And that's one day you stand on the victor stand. One day you overcome. And all of this right now that you're going through, it's just the hand of God moving you from here, a place of doubt, to there, a place of victory. This is what you've been saved for. You have not been saved to be a loser and need rescue. You have been saved to be a victor and to overcome. If I get the worship team to come up, you bow your heads just for a second. I've got, there's a few people that are going to join me to help pray for people on my right, your left, over here behind the prayer sign at these barista tables that are over there. Listen, if you got something going on and you need prayer, so I know it's a humbling thing to let someone pray. You, I know. I also know that it's an incredibly powerful thing to let someone pray for you. So, all of you who who are, are you're going to worship and sing, I want you to do that with all of your heart because I want an atmosphere of prayer and worship to settle on this room while we pray for people. And then, those of you who need a miracle in your life, you need an answer. I have no idea what you need. It doesn't matter what you need. We'll find, we'll, we'll go to heaven for whatever you need. We're going to be praying for people during these next two songs on my right, your left, behind the prayer banner. Some of you have never let anybody really pray over you. So why don't you let us do that today? Why don't you let us get that atmosphere of prayer flowing? Then, then we'll wait on God. We'll do that together as best we can and then we'll work on our victory speech. We'll, we'll begin to see that God's plan for us is for our victory and for our success, not for our failures. I pray, Lord God, that you would enter into every life today and you would speak to them the word they need to hear that, that would draw them to you. This is the kind of God you are. You, you come and get us. And so come and get us. And bring us, bring us close to you. And bring us into a place of, of victory and joy. A place where we can joyfully wait on you. Wait on the process. Please help your people today. In Jesus' name, amen.